It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome, everybody. It's another installment of J.C. and Morgan. J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Michael Haney will be checking in with us uh, a little bit later on with the Hot Haney 5. Uh, he is, of course, in Nashville, J.C. in the Windy City. I am uh, presently enjoying a little sunshine here in Florida before going back on the road to uh, Charlottesville for Virginia, Miami, which uh, you, you talk about an interesting what has happened there. The talk in the ACC was the banner quarterback play they were going to have this year, and you look at it top to bottom, D.J. Uyugule has improved dramatically. Everybody else, not so much. I mean, they've just it, it just hasn't worked out the way a lot of people thought it would uh, in that conference with quarterback play. One conference that has worked out rather well in quarterback play is the SEC. We'll get into that. We'll get into our SEC spotlight. Um, uh, I mentioned the Hot Haney Five, and, and there's a couple of things that I've been chomping at the bit to get to and uh, to bat around with you, JC, um, as it regards to maybe the biggest story in college football this year, and that is the complete turnaround of Tennessee in a span of less than 24 months. So uh, with all that being said, again, J.C. and Morgan presented by Blue Delta Jeans, bluedeltajeans.com for the very best in custom jeans. Check them out, bluedeltajeans.com. The gang over there does an outstanding job uh, with their product. They don't do a ton of products. They do uh, a couple, and they do them better than anybody else, bluedeltajeans.com. J.C., how are you? Uh, doing great. Uh, busy week last week. Had a had a high school football season, uh, a freshman team season up here end, and uh, seemed like one thing after another. But uh, happy to get into this week and uh, mix it up with you guys and uh, talk a little college football. Yeah, man. Um, you, I almost feel like we need to at least talk about what happened a week and a half ago with the Tennessee-Alabama game, because that that's kind of the game of the year thus far. Um, and, and when I think about that game as a whole, just so many thoughts went running through my head. Number one, it's such an uncharacteristically flawed Alabama team. Now, look, when I say flawed, don't get it twisted. They're not bad. They're not even lacking good. They're still very good. But when you got an Alabama team that's among the nation's worst in penalties, uh, when they don't run the ball well, when they make silly mistakes, and at times they just looked overmatched against uh, Josh Heupel and Tennessee's offense, that that stood out to me. Um, it's one of the ba- – I, I realize a lot of people tuning in. We've got a lot of SEC fans. A lot of people hate Tennessee just like they hate Alabama or they hate Florida, they hate Georgia, they hate whoever. I get it. I get it. Not everybody is all in on this celebration of Tennessee football. But you can't take away the fact it's a, it's a remarkable story. And and I, I couldn't help but think as I was watching that game that, and I've said this before on this podcast, JC, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> and you and I talk so much about the inexact science of coaching hires. Right. Um, we we watch and we kind of laugh 
at people who think they know what a great hire is and and they think they know what a slam dunk hire is and what an awful hire is and what a milk toast hire is. And you got a lot of ADs that kind of follow the same formula. They they hire a search firm and that search firm spits out a a handful of names and then you go from there. Like they're all run, kind of running from the same playbook. The Tennessee situation is so unique because you just got an AD from UCF. Okay. Because after the nightmare that was Jeremy Pruitt and Phil Fulmer, like a lot of changes had to be made. So the changes are made. Then you have a situation. Uh, stop the presses. The names that were thrown out there uh, all over Tennessee message boards and everywhere else were many of which were very unrealistic and were never going to take the job at Tennessee, particularly at that time. And so that happens. And so then eventually you go down blah, 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 and you got an AD who already knows Josh Heupel from his days at UCF. So that's the hire. It couldn't have been a less celebrated hire. It could not have been a less celebrated hire at Tennessee. I, I mean, there was no anybody that anybody that tells you they sat there and did cartwheels over the Josh Heupel hire is lying. They didn't. Uh, and I'm not saying they should have. It, it just look. I know UCF fans. We have a, you know, UCF John that gives us our AAC report every week. He's a, a big a UCF fan as I know. He wasn't wild about Josh Hypo when he was at UCF. There were a lot of people that were not wild about Josh Hypo when he was at UCF. Josh Hypo, remember now, it's a guy that led Oklahoma to a national championship back in 2000 under Bob Stoops. Uh, immediately got into coaching. That's where he wanted to be. He was not a, a true NFL talent like most great college college quarterbacks are. He got fired from his alma mater as the offensive coordinator. I think a lot of people forget that. The last time I met Josh Heupel in person was doing a Missouri game where he was the offensive coordinator under the Barry Odom era. Now, he coached Drew Locke, and Drew Locke put up a lot of numbers, but I don't know if people were raving about the Josh Heupel offense there. He winds up at UCF. He winds up at Tennessee. Um, Hendon Hooker was a quarterback at Virginia Tech. Can't win the starting job. Got COVID in 2020. Was incredibly unimpressive when he was out on the field, lost the job, goes to Tennessee, supposed to be the backup to Joe Milton. Hendon Hooker was never expected to be the guy that was going to turn this thing around in Knoxville. So you've got two guys that were kind of, I don't want to say cast-offs, but they certainly were not prized possessions, if you will, of their respective programs, right? I mean, it just... Hennon Hooker certainly was, you know, you know, we'll get into recruiting JC because I want to do a deep dive. I mean, I want to get, I want to get my, my, my scuba tanks, my mask, my wetsuit. I want to do a deep dive on how in the heck this happened because I think it's, I think fans watch this and kind of like we've talked about some coaches by, by like Coach Leipold having success at Kansas, you're going to get a lot of other coaches fired. Because people are going to say, well, Leipold did it at Kansas. Why can't we do it with this guy? Well, this whole thing is going to get people fired even quicker in the SEC because Tennessee was a dumpster fire. Tennessee was an absolute dumpster fire and has been on and off for 15 years. And here comes Josh Heupel, not exactly a highly coveted coach. Hendon Hooker, not exactly a highly covered, covered, coveted quarterback. They were playing with 60-something scholarships last year. I don't know what the number is this year, J.C. I know it's below 85. And yet 
they are on pace to go to the college football playoff just a couple years later after the Jeremy Pruitt. I don't think debacle is even a strong enough word. It was one of the worst hires in, in the SEC in my lifetime and and yielded a negative results on the way out. So I couldn't help think all of this, J.C., and I couldn't make any sense of it. But that's what makes it a great story is the fact that we can't sit here and make sense of it. Right. I mean, it's just one of those things you can't predict. Yeah, look, I've never been a hypo guy. I, I thought big red flag when Oklahoma punted him. Um, you know, Missouri, they would have games, Mike, where they would put up 70-something points against a, a team that wasn't very good. But the, every time they faced a good defense, they had trouble scoring and uh, it let their defense out to dry. I mean, you know, I, I remember in 2017, before he got the UCF job, you know, he, he got a lot of praise because they went to Knoxville and hung 50 on Tennessee. They played Florida and hung 45 on them, and that was with Drew, Drew Locke and some really good talent at receiver and running back. But, man, they'd run into, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. South Carolina in 2017 went up there in game two, ran the ball, played defense, beat them 31-13. There were a lot of red flag games like that. And then UCF kind of took a step back during the pandemic year. Um, here, 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 though, looking back on it, I thought, I think was the genius of Danny White. And I think, I think we got to start talking about him. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk out there about ADs being saviors of athletic programs. And we, we've had that discussion, right. About, mm -hmm. sure. well, it doesn't really matter who your AD is. I mean, it's not, you <clears> know, <throat> uh, here was the genius of making that decision. They, they were having a hard time. You know, they interviewed Tony Elliott. He said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, having a hard time really getting a candidate. And, you know, Hypel kind of probably looked at it as a great opportunity. And, and, and here's the thing, if you're Danny White, why this was a, a pretty awesome idea. Even if they don't win, and they were 7-6 and six last year, uh, so they lost, obviously, their share of games, it is an exciting brand of football. And you think about the last few coaches that have been at, at Tennessee. You know, Lane Kiffin, I think, probably would have ended up running an exciting offense, but he's only there a year. Uh, Derek Dooley, it was kind of a rock-throwing contest. I think I think they recycled Jim Chaney twice uh, through there, right? Uh, Pro-style mm -hmm. guy, really good play caller, I think. Uh, not hypo, not what he's running. You have to have, you know, better talent, I think, to, to go up and down the field. Um you know, Butch Jones kind of had his own guy, uh, and they ran some spread. They had the ability to put points up, but uh, offensive juggernaut you would not call them, especially after Dobbs left, and the Garantano last year was a disaster, okay? So you keep moving forward, and Pruitt was just god-awful offensively. I mean, he was like a lot of, unfortunately, former Saban assistants that, you know, that they kind of think three yards, cloud of dust, let's – Keep it conservative, protect the defense. It's a rock, like a rock throwing contest, right? So if, if you're you've been through all that, you're looking to breathe new life into to, into the program. You know, offense sells tickets. You know, uh, so you go through last year, uh, things didn't really start clicking until they went to Missouri. They went sixty two to twenty four. Uh, Missouri could not stop them all day. And they got on a roll. They beat Kentucky. They beat South Carolina. They had a tough loss in the in the bowl game. But man, it was exciting. It's it's fun to it, you know you know how awful it used to be to watch them play when Pruitt was the coach. Like it was just yeah. awful football. 
you know, even the games they won, not very good. You know, not it's just like ah, fourteen to ten. You know, um, and Tennessee really hadn't been, you know, that great on offense, frankly, since uh, David Cutcliffe was dialing up plays for Philip Fulmer. And so, uh, I think that's one way to kind of make a hire to sort of insulate, you know, yourself. You know, hey, look, this guy may get fired in three or four years because we may not be able to play defense, and you know, we may lose a bunch of games, forty-one thirty-eight, but. Man, it's going to be an exciting brand of football, right? And when you get down to that point with uh, a coaching search, you know, I, I think that's a stroke of genius. You can keep in mind, Danny White has hired uh, Johnny Dawkins for basketball at UCF. Uh, they've been to a tournament. He's won some games. He wrote, he hired Bobby Hurley at Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a long track record of hiring coaches that make a lot of sense and that work out. Now, is he Scott Woodward at LSU level, big game hunting? <laughs> Probably not. But I thought when Tennessee hired him, that was an outstanding hire. Uh, not saying that I, I, I'm i not going to take credit because I, honest to God, was not expecting Heupel <laughs> to be as good as he is. Now, now, you ask about, like, what's the setup? Well, Hooker, here, here's the problem, and here's why – Looking back on it, Justin Fuente probably should have been fired other than the fact that he not only does not like to recruit, he refuses to recruit. Um, That's another problem. That was a problem with Fuente at Virginia Tech. You know, but the COVID year, Hooker did not play all that well. The previous year, though, 13 touchdowns, two picks. So, you know, right now he's sitting on 49 touchdown passes and four interceptions at Tennessee in two years as the starter. Um, extremely accurate deep ball. And when he was coming out of high school, Mike, and, and from Greensboro, Greensboro, North Carolina, you know, I thought this kid throws a great ball. He really throws them. I thought, I thought he was going to set records at Virginia Tech. Okay. That's how good I thought he was coming out. And so that when he didn't win the job and Josh Milton did, I was like, something's got to be up here, you know, and, and my theory is maybe he doesn't practice all that well. Because if you get beat out by Braxton freaking Burmeister at Virginia Tech, and then you go to Tennessee and Joe Milton wins the job, I mean, you got to kind of wonder, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then Milton, it's kind of like when Felipe Franks went down for with Florida and Kyle Trask went in. Boy, it's night and day different, right? So coaches sometimes don't always make the right choices when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, but it's just worked out. You mentioned recruiting and redemption. Uh you know, and, and turnarounds. Uh, I want to point this out. You know, Jalen Hyatt, three-star kid out of Columbia, South Carolina, always has been fast. A lot of schools passed on him because he, that's just all he was, was fast. But now he's a complete receiver. And you can't stop him down the field. Um, Brew McCoy was a five-star recruit, and it had a big bunch of drama because he went to Texas, then went back to Southern Cal, then tried to go back to Texas and just transfer city, right? Uh, comes to Tennessee. He's probably his last chance, right? Playing really well. Ramel Keaton was a big-time four-star receiving recruit that Pruitt got out of Cobb County in Atlanta has done squat until this year. They're still missing Cedric Tillman, who's their best receiver. By far, yeah. Yeah, and and, and these guys, it's just all a bunch of, a bunch of dudes with second chances. Uh, their line is the same way. Their defense t- seems to lose a starter every single week, right? They're 10th in the country, in, or ninth in the country, tied with the Buckeyes uh, in run defense. They're only giving up 91 yards a game on the ground. 
they take chances all day long. They gave 301 yards passing to Tennessee Martin this past weekend. But guess what, Mike? They don't care because they're just going to get the ball back and score in 20 seconds anyway. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. And so that, so to me, you know, it, it's a combination of a, a, a sneaky good hire that was, was a little bit of a gamble, but, but would put fans in the seats, uh, a quarterback who's playing to his potential, a couple of receivers, two or three receivers that are finally playing to their potential. That's a redemption story right there. And then a defense that nobody thought was going to be good that literally sits there and smothers you in the run game, you know? And and I think that's what they think. Like, we'll sell out to stop the run and then, hey, give up a big pass play. Who cares? We'll get the ball back for our offense. That's the way a lot of teams do it. A lot of people over the years have said, I don't know if you can win in the SEC that way. Well, I guess you, it seems like you can <laughs> because they're rolling and Alabama didn't have any answers for them uh, defensively. I mean, Alabama just, uh, you know, they could not stop the vertical passing attack. On top of that, Tennessee ran for 180-something yards in the game as well. Their two backs, Mike, Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. Uh, Wright's out of North Carolina. It was kind of a – God, they took a lot of good running backs that year, and he was like the fourth guy. Well, he's turned out to be the best one, and then small. They're they're smaller guys that hit the hole hard. When you line up, they got good vision, that kind of thing. Of course, Hooker runs it several times a game. I think fourteen against Bama. Um, it's just hard to stop, especially when they're going that fast. You almost get physically sick thinking about having to play defense against that thing. So, uh, it's a big combo uh, of things, and just something that's worked out. And uh, frankly, I have a lot of friends that are Tennessee fans, dear friends. I've never been one, but uh, uh, I'm happy for them right now because uh, they've been through a lot of crap the last 13 years. And uh, to see them uh, playing well and in the conversation uh, just on a personal level to me is cool. Well, I mean, that was a moment that was 15 years in the making Um, to the the, the crowd electric to tear down the goalposts, throw it in the river. I don't care if the goalposts cost a half a million dollars to replace. It's money well spent. Uh, if you're the Tennessee athletic department, but, but that is a moment and you've heard me use the term volcano programs. I mean, there's just some programs I'm convinced are destined to erupt again. There's just enough there underground. There's enough lava just waiting to shoot out. Now, sometimes it takes a uh, hundred years like Mount St. Helens in Washington state to do that. But more often than not, when I say volcano programs, I, I, I don't think you're going to be down much more than 10 before it pops up. This is a program that's won national multiple national championships, uh too many SEC championships to to uh, remember the exact amount. And not all of that great history was that long ago. Uh the fan base has always been there. They own the entire state. I mean there is no they don't share that thing with anything with anybody. Um you know they're they're there there's just there's a lot there. And to see it mismanaged to the degree that it was through multiple ADs, multiple coaches, multiple everything. Um, I, I will say this, the couple things. I agree with you on Danny White. Danny White has a great track record of hires. I don't think Danny White hires Josh Heupel unless he had a relationship with him at UCF. I mean, Josh mm-hmm. Heupel just would not be, he would not be on Tennessee's radar. And there'd be so much backlash, even the name, like we can do better than Josh Heupel. What are you talking about? Um, so it, it just it just wouldn't have been on his radar. Doesn't mean that Danny White isn't doing an outstanding job. He is. 
But the happenstance of I was at UCF when this guy, I liked him. I know they weren't the Scott Frost results, uh, but I but I, I, I think he could do some good stuff. And if nothing else, he's a safe hire. And that's kind of the way I looked at Josh Heupel. Like, Josh Heupel isn't going to do anything to embarrass your program. He does have some acumen, offensive play calling. Like you said, they play an exciting brand of ball. And if you're going to be go through a, which with most, which most people thought would be a rebuild over a period of years. I mean, there were people saying that Tennessee is going to be, this is going to be a five-year rebuild. They've done it in two and it's more than just a rebuild, the stuff that we're that they're competing in. And we'll see how they do against Georgia, blah, blah, blah. But it, it's it's un, unheard of what, what's happened. And furthermore, I think it gives people hope. I think people look at the Tennessee story, like even if you hate Tennessee and you say, well, hell, after all they've been through, if they can do it, program XYZ, particularly in the SEC, who, you know, we've talked about there's always feels like that pecking order and those seven programs that always have a distinct advantage over the other seven. And, you know, pretty soon it's going to be nine that have an advantage over the red. Like this is counter to all of that because there was so many things against it. And, and when you looked at the roster, like what were you really excited about? Even coming into this year, like again, Cedric Tillman, all SEC receiver. Okay. Hennon Hooker showed promise i mean he showed good stuff he didn't show the stuff that he's showing this year the other thing is and i've talked about this before sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work uh, a, a a coach has the ability to evolve and develop just like players do the little wrinkles that josh is running now where the wide receivers are lined up way outside the numbers and you're that's not exactly what he was doing at say missouri Mm-hmm, uh, right. You know, I mean, so so g- offensive coordinators, they are they are dogs that you can teach new tricks like you don't have the same offense and run it for 15 years when everybody else evolves. You're like, no, no, no. This is what I've been doing. And uh, if it ain't broke, don't fit. Well, it's broke. So you better fix it. He has evolved and and great coaches. There is some learning on the job. There There is some development within the context of what you do. So all this happened in less than two years, and I just think uh, it it's an amazing, amazing story. And like that is to my bigger theme. This is a season of redemption, Tennessee redemption, uh, Heupel redemption. Go back and read what people were saying about that hire when it was made, the Josh Heupel hire. Um, I know they lost this week to Alabama. They always do. It's an awful matchup. But Mike Leach, redemption. How many people said uh, his offense will never work in the SEC? It's working. It, I mean, it doesn't work against Alabama for whatever reason. Like, yeah. We're going to get against everybody else. Uh, and they play D and they run. Shane Beamer, okay? Go back and read what a lot of people said about that hire. Shane Beamer just picked up another game, another win as an underdog. They're sitting there at five and two with Missouri and Vandy coming up. They could easily be seven and two in year two of Beamer ball. And he didn't exactly inherit a great situation. Um, we talked about Kansas and coach Leipold. We talked about TCU. TCU looked like, like it just kind of fell back into their 
mid-tier type of place in the totem pole and they really didn't belong i mean what what were they really under gary patterson they were a a benefactor of being in weaker leagues and then they started to get home no tcu's great redemption story coach dykes hell of a job brett bielma illinois great redemption story i mean people were talking about him like he was just a clown and people people forget when brett when arkansas got him that was a coup to make that hire. Now, it didn't work out. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. Doesn't mean another chance he could make it work. And he's doing really a miracle in Champagne. Um, oh, you know, Texas, Harbaugh. You and I have been Harbaugh defenders for a while on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Our uh, our main uh, Michigan fan, Justin, I know listening in, he he knows what's up. We but we we didn't pile on. We didn't join that bandwagon. Like every time they lost a game, that uh, that all of a sudden Jim Harbaugh was an idiot. They stood with him, they, and they had a lot of reasons to to not to just you know, pull the ripcord and say, well, we're not beating Ohio State, and he's he lost to Michigan State, so Har- Harbaugh's a bum. And they stood with him, and now Michigan is. Looking pretty damn formidable. So uh, that to me is the story of this season. As we take inventory, you know, we're, we're past the midway point. We're coming down the home stretch. November's right around the corner. Halloween, all that good stuff. I, I think the, the the season of redemption for, for 2022 is why we love college football, because there's been a whole lot of unpredictable. Absolutely. I, I agree. Yeah. Brett Bielema, my goodness. Uh, they could win their division. Yeah, we we uh we maybe could see like uh Brett, uh winning the division at, at Illinois. That's not a great division now, you know. That's mm-hmm. you got some Minnesota in there. They're they're decent. You got Wisconsin slowly but surely getting there. Two and three in the Big Ten. Purdue Northwestern's bad. Northwestern's awful. Um, heck, the the Illini could end up winning it. <laughs> so uh. Uh, and they're in the catbird seat right now. They go to Nebraska this weekend, but you know, he's doing it just like he did at Wisconsin. They run, they run the ball, they stop the run, they play a, a very physical brand of football. And you know, I, I that program at Illinois, I mean, you know, that they don't they still get beat on recruits in their state a lot because mm. you got Notre Dame is kind of the team in Chicago, Northwestern siphoned some guys off. Uh, Wisconsin is closer to the Chicago land area than Champaign. I mean, it's, uh, and then all the, all the rural kids, cause the state does produce a lot of good tight ends and uh big farm farm boy, uh, offensive lineman, you know, for years now, Iowa has been coming in and getting those guys, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if he can start to build momentum and turn the recruiting around, we could see another, you know, it usually doesn't last very long in Illinois, but you know, there's been some golden years of Illini football under Juice Williams, baby. Yeah, Makovic, the Zucker went to the Rose Bowl. Ron Turner yeah. went to a uh, oh, what is it, a Sugar Bowl one year? Uh, you know, one. So you know, hats off to him. And yeah, you're, you're right. Everybody kind of thought he was dead uh, in the water, and um, here he is uh, making a comeback. And you know, you mentioned Harbaugh. I, I think Michigan. Uh, is Michigan's better than I expected them to be. Uh, I, I knew they had kind of a favorable schedule, but Blake Corum's running crazy. Uh, that dude, that's one of, that might be the most exciting yeah. player in college football, dude. He is tiny as can be. I mean, he, he might special. be five eight, special. Uh, yeah. one, one of those kids out of the state of Virginia, you know, the Big Ten schools go in and 
they recruit Virginia, Maryland, D.C. Uh, now because Maryland – people talk about why the hell they put Maryland in the league. Well, uh, that means schools other than Penn State and Ohio State can go into the DMV and get guys. Right. Uh, and and he's one of those guys that, you know, you just don't want to underestimate. So they uh, – you know, they, they – I think that's big too. I mean, it's been – you know, I – I'll say this. I know they haven't looked great all year, uh, but Clemson has uh, – they're there record-wise, and they've survived against Syracuse this past weekend, but record-wise, you know, they're not sitting there at four and three after seven games, you know, or eight games, five and three after eight like they were last year. Uh, they're right back in the hunt. Now, uh, you want to debate how they do in a playoff matchup, all that good stuff. I mean, that's a debate we can have, but it's uh, it, it's been a resurgent year. You mentioned DJ – Ongulai. Um, I know he got benched Saturday, but I watched most of that game, Mike. Uh, the backup threw like two two passes. <laughs> Clemson basically lined up and said, we're Clemson and you're Syracuse. We're going to run it up your behunkus. Uh, and they came back and won the game. And, you know, some favorable calls by the ACC crew in that one. But, uh, uh, you know, Clemson came back and won. So I, I think you're right. I think this has been a redemption type of year. Um, and, uh, I hope it continues because, you know, I, I kind of like to see it, you know, okay. And it's not just Alabama because they lost the championship game last year, coming back and beating everybody's tail, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Alabama's not, they're not done yet. And we'll talk about this on the, the hot Haney five when he uh, jumps in, but I, I, I think we're now at the point with Ole Miss getting spanked. I mean, they, Ole Miss, was up early in that game, and then I believe LSU went on a forty-two to three run. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's another redemption story right there. Because how much crap did Brian Kelly? Take? Oh yeah, and 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 for no good reason. <laughs> for for no good reason did Brian. There's just some people again. I mean, I, I've get to the I've got to the point where I can uh, read the the psychology of a lot of fans and sometimes the criticism is, you know, semi justified or whatever. And fans are being fans and emotional and fanatic. And that's what we love about it. But, but there's some people that just simply do not like Brian Kelly. <laughs> and they, 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 if they find an, a window to tee off on him, doesn't have to be justifiable. Um, uh, Brian Kelly's a good football coach. Going to do good things at LSU. Sorry, folks. If you think LSU is going to fail under Brian Kelly, I, I think you're going to be disappointed. Because when he actually gets this thing completely turned around, there were some definite cultural issues in Baton Rouge oh. the last couple of years. Players completely just not giving their all, uh, finding ways to stay out of the lineup. That doesn't just change overnight. I mean, we, you know, we see that happening at multiple programs where they keep making coaching changes and some of the same ills continue to plague them. That tells you that it's 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 in those walls and it's not just one man that causes it. And it's not one man that's going to fix it overnight. Uh, but yeah, LSU is going to be fine. But where I was going with that is that uh, I, I've no disrespect to Ole Miss, but I still have thought that schedule was backloaded and that they were eventually going to start slipping. Mm-hmm. That might've been step one of the slippage. And to me, you've got four teams that are clearly above the rest in the Southeastern conference. So whether the sec gets two teams in the playoff for three teams are not getting four. I know it's a nice little hypothetical, um, but I, I I think that uh, 
I think we're starting to separate pretenders contenders now. Now that we get we're about a week away, less than from the month of November, we know who's really good and who's just okay good. Like there, there's clearly in the Georgia-Tennessee game, hopefully it's just as epic as Tennessee-Alabama was. Hopefully LSU-Alabama is an epic game. I mean, you got both those games on the same day. My what a goodness. Saturday. What a Saturday. Not to mention Kentucky-Tennessee coming up. So um, wanted to get those things out there. Those are, those are for me, the – uh, the overall feel this past weekend. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't anything compared to the week before this past weekend was nice. Had some good matchups, had some good games, but, uh, but not, not necessarily that the, the type of finishes and top 25 matchups that we had uh, two weeks ago. So with all that being said, we welcome in the third member of the party from uh, somewhere in the music city. He has been concocting uh, music, and hot Haney fives all, all over uh, a span of many many hours in the lab. He's Michael Haney. Michael, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are how are you, gentlemen? Very good. Yeah. How's uh how's things been going? I feel like I just showed up to the party. I got a little. I got a twelver. Uh huh. Sit yeah. down and uh, you know, crank them open and right. Kind of catch up on on old times. See how what kind of if you bring a twelver, what does Michael Haney bring to the party? What's uh, the twelver? You know, I'm bringing some some beast. You know, oh, now, all right. So, wow. come no, on, wait a minute. Hold on because the, the beast is it Milwaukee's best or old Milwaukee? Uh, Milwaukee's best, Milwaukee's best. Yes, yes. okay. I'm glad we're in agreement because something one time somebody's like, I got some beast and it was old Milwaukee, and I literally thought I was drinking battery acid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate old uh, Milwaukee. Love Milwaukee. I do, I will drink. I haven't done it in 20 years, but I, if I had to, I would drink Milwaukee's best. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But, uh, you know, I, um, you know, I try to keep it simple, you know, if, uh, if I could, you know, I know craft beer is not everybody's palate, but, um, you know, a, a Bud Light, a Miller Light, something like that for, for everybody. All uh, right. That's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the rule of thumb. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm going off the rate at reservation a little bit, uh, I might go some wicked weed. Uh, pernicious. Okay. Uh, it's one of my favorites. So, um, so there you go. And, uh, I'm, I have a partnership with, uh, steel hands brewing out of Columbia, South Carolina. You can't get them out outside of the state of South Carolina. Um, except at their little location in North Carolina right now. So a little plug, I expect a little, to be little, uh, little sent a, a 12 pack of that, uh, yeah, ship I, that over. I'll I give know the address. a guy, I know, a you guy. know, a guy who knows yeah. a guy, JC, what are you, what are you bringing <laughs> to the, uh, this, this shindig? I like, uh, just regular old, uh, golden colored American beer. Uh, I usually use another term for that, but I know this is a family show. So uh, I like uh, uh, Miller light um, okay. quite a bit. Uh, Bud light every now and then. Uh, and uh, since the pandemic, I'm going to get made fun of. I know I've been, I've been drinking a lot of white claw. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with white claw. Uh, you hey, know, it, it has its time and place. Well, man. There's well, look, nothing. Okay. You're well, in a safe this, space here. You know, there were no sports. We sat around. It was my first winter in Chicago. And so, like, I didn't really know even what date it was because there was no, like, baseball or basketball to pat to say, hey, spring is here. And plus, it was 30 degrees. So, basically, you know, a lot of days would just sit around and drink and watch concerts on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, But then once it turned warm, my beer would get warm on me. And it, it kind of sort of made me sick. So I wanted something I could drink with ice. A friend of ours drinks beer with ice. I just, I'm just not there yet in my life. Uh, so I switched to White Claw. Swore I'd switch back 
but haven't yet. Yeah. Wait, oh, I feel so I, can we can we uh, rewind just a second? You have a friend that drinks beer with ice in it. Is that yeah, what you're saying? He sits at the bar. His name's Tommy. I, I have him in my phone as Tommy laughs his butt off. Uh, actually, I use another term, but it's a family show because uh, he'll just sit there and like he, he wears this shirt, you know, because he goes to Thailand like every couple of months or, or for, for a month at a time. I am I don't know what he's doing over there, but fine. he's kind of a retired guy. And he'll just sit there and laugh at everything you say. He's like, <laughs> and he uh, he has a little ice with his uh, Miller High Life. So Tommy's a witch the, when he's the not at the bar. Champagne of beers, yeah. And so he's probably flying a broomstick or whatever since Halloween. But yeah, <laughs> so so he he puts beer ice in his beer. I just could I can't do it, man. I, and and I I like it ice cold. I don't like it warm. So it was makes. So I needed a solution. Obviously, <laughs> Tommy Ice Beer sounds like yeah. a character in a Scorsese movie. You know? yeah, yeah, I was yeah. say, it sounds like yeah, a yeah. rejected uh, Goodfellas guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm gonna go see that Tommy Ice Beer. You know, Tom, you got you got Tommy two times. I'm gonna go get the papers, get the papers, and then you got Tommy Ice Beer. You know, he puts ice in his his beer. I, I'm going Modelo, fellas. I'm going off the grid here. I'm gonna bring you some Modelo. I'm gonna bring you some limes, refreshing. Sometimes you want a little there darker go. beer. Go Negro Modelo. Uh, you know, you can't go wrong with a Dosecchi Amber if you like a dark beer. I don't know who serves it anymore, but Newcastle, very underrated beer mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, Newcastle's all right, Mike. I could have, I could have predicted you would say Modelo. Oh, huge Modelo guy. Huge, 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 either regular or Negro. Yeah. Uh, hey, very... You guys know Mike Morgan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge yeah. Modelo guy. Huge Modelo guy. That guy. But I, 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 I think I owed Mike some beer at one point. And I think that's what I had to buy. That's so. it. <laughs> I, I, think I, I have some inside information on that. One. I do remember that. Yes, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. So, uh, right. Okay. Now that I have uh, successfully derailed the show, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks, do. Mike. Is, thanks, uh, Haney. Thanks, Haney. Uh, back, back in the radio, parachute. back in the radio days, this was called, uh, and that's been a Michael Haney left turn. Let's that is that was the, a left turn back on the road. That's a good left turn though, because yeah. college football fans typically drink beer. Everybody has an opinion on beer. Uh, some more passionate about it. Like I'm not the guy that's going to be like, Oh, your beer sucks. Like to each their own, to each their own. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to change your habits. Don't try to change mine. Yeah. The the nicest way to say that you don't like something that somebody else really likes. It's just not my thing. Just not my thing, man. Just not my do you. It's all good. It's all good. All right. So I caught the, uh, just the tail end of, uh, of what you were saying there, Mike. And I, and I believe that it, it might help lead into, uh, the first question of the hot Haney five. Uh, discussing um, the the four teams in the SEC. Are you guys ready for a hot handy five? Let's ready bring, man, I'm okay. I've been ready. I was born ready. Born, born ready. ready. All this, right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, with that being said, um, what I heard you uh, dropping in there at the end about four SEC teams getting in the playoff. Uh, let's just discuss overall where things are with the SEC. It's been Alabama, uh, now Georgia with a national championship. Tennessee's burst onto the scene this year. LSU. Huge win over Ole Miss uh, this weekend, not just winning, but just absolutely dominating the Rebels after the first quarter, really. Um, but, gentlemen, do we do we now, uh, from that first week, uh, loss to FSU to now what Brian Kelly has been able to to put on the field here, uh, the excitement level in Baton Rouge has has risen. You know, the, the loss to Tennessee stung, but but life is in you. Do we have a fourth a fourth team in the SEC now? Is it a big four? in the SEC now and that instead of a top two? Well, if they control their own destiny, I mean, the, the question is, are they going to be – are they going to be like Auburn last year? Remember Auburn got that big win at Arkansas and controlled their own destiny, and then we saw what happened? First-year coach. You know, that, yeah. that's my question on, on LSU. But uh, but maybe they're, they're certainly a good football team, I think. 
I I think uh, Georgia and Tennessee have clearly separated, um, setting up that blockbuster matchup in a couple of weeks. And then I think, look, I'm I'm still not selling Alabama because <clears throat> a loss like that, in so many ways, we've seen it so many times. That's Nick Saban's rallying call. Like that's the get your head out of your new your you know what and get it together now. Because if you don't, you just found out reality is you'll lose a game. And I'm they're they're a flawed team. I'm I'm not saying they're national championship good, but I still think they're in the final four of the SEC. And then I think it's it's LSU. Um Jaden Daniels now is is th- proving that he's not just a scrambler. I mean, he's making all the passes as well. Is he the best quarterback that Brian Kelly has had? Uh, I mean, he had a couple good ones at Notre Dame. Tom, who had Tommy? Well, wait a minute. Who was good? Yeah, Brady Quinn. Brady is dynamic. No, no, Brady Quinn was Weiss. uh, That's right, Brady. There there was no other way there. Yeah, Everett Golson was the one that led him to the championship. James better than Everett. Who was the Deshaun Kaiser? I guess was drafted yeah. high. I mean, maybe he is. Maybe, maybe you bring up a good point. I, mean, I love Jay, I love Jaden Daniels. I I, I thought yeah. it'd take a little while, and I thought the Tennessee game was very disappointing. Uh, but I, I figured, and Brian Kelly mentioned this, he was going to have an adjustment period with the the new system. So I think that's. Uh, I think he's coming on. Yeah, I I I never thought of that question, but now that you bring it up, he might be. And again. It's part and parcel to the question, well, why did why do you leave, leave Notre Dame for LSU? Because he's going to have better talent at LSU. And he mm-hmm. just is. And and he's no longer if if and when they get back to a playoff scenario like he did at Notre Dame, he's no longer going to have to look to the other side of the field and say, "Boy, I wish I had that." Like we're good, but we're just not to that level. And that was the story in a nutshell of the Brian Kelly Notre Dame era. That's not going to be the case at LSU. When he has it going, they're going to have uh, elite talent, and there'll be other Jaden Daniel type recruits. Uh, of course, he was a transfer, but they'll get actual recruits out of high school like that. They've always got wideouts. They've always got freakish athletes on defense. I mean, that's just a given. And then you add Brian Kelly's, uh, you know, acumen coaching. I I think that that's going to happen. The only other team that still intrigues me, I, and, I, and it's always easy after a loss to just, okay, write them off. I still think Mississippi state can be dangerous. I still would not want to play them. They still have Georgia at home. They still have Ole Miss like that. I'm not saying they're in the, they're, they're going to make, they're not going to make Atlanta, but, but they're up there. They're right there close. And then there's other teams that, and, and for that matter, South Carolina is now close and Kentucky is close. You know, we can start putting aside Texas A&M, which some of us did earlier. I mean, Auburn, uh, Missouri, you know, the, we, we kind of know who's out of the mix, but I think that's a solid top four. And then I think there's a couple that are right there on the fringe. All right. And, uh, you know, just with, with Mike Leach, I love Mike Leach, by the way. Um, but he is, he's just, he, 
he's that guy that you, you you're right, Mike. There, he's a dangerous coach. He can coach a team up and and get you on any Saturday. But he's also very capable of coaching a team into an absolute turd. Not saying catching Alabama off of a off of a tough loss is 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 any shame because Alabama pissed off after losing that is gonna yeah you know th- that's that's a situation. But losing the way that they did at LSU. Uh, a couple of losses that they have this year, you're just like, ah, you know, you, you've said it already this year with Mississippi State. They're a really good team. You like them, but then they'll burn you. The, I mean, that's been that's been Mike's – like everybody agrees, he gets the most out of these programs that he coaches. If you go back, Washington State, if you go back, Texas Tech, uh, I mean, he rewrites the record books on offense and he wins a lot of games. But then there's always that – inexplicable loss but look he's not the only coach that you could say that about uh and again in no case was he coaching a program elite a program with a proven track record of you know kind of like an lsu almost recruiting itself and playing for national championships mike leach hasn't had that kind of job so these other programs like a mississippi state you're you're going to have losses like you're just you're not going 11 and 1 12 and 0 i don't care how brilliant a coach you are um, the, the, for whatever reason, we use this term in foot and basketball all the time, such and such team doesn't match up well with such and such team. We don't use that in football for whatever reason. Um, but maybe we should because God. Alabama and Mississippi state, it's, it's just not a great matchup for Mississippi state. Never is. No, no it's not. And no, even to KO spike saying, uh, on the sec network, he predicted that Mississippi state wouldn't score a touchdown. Against Alabama, he, he was almost it. right. They got one of the last, right. yeah, and the last <laughs> a, a meaningless touchdown when time expired, which I think was the first Mississippi State touchdown against Alabama in like eight years. The first uh, actual touchdown, not points, but actual touchdown. So that that's been an epidemic long before Mike Leach ever got to Starkville. Like they just don't just don't match up well with Alabama, which like a lot of teams do. Uh, don't, and then you add to the fact that you knew they were going to be full of piss and vinegar coming off the the loss to Tennessee. Yeah, and, and some people think, like, because it's all part of that, like, air raid coaching tree, and Mike Leach is the godfather, but, and I know that Josh Heupel played quarterback for Mike Leach at Oklahoma in 1999, so that's something go. that, uh, you know, to consider there. Uh, what Heupel does is different, uh, and, and, and we were talking earlier about his evolution as a coach, Mike. I think He's added – they still do a lot of the same stuff Leach does, but he's added so much from the Bryles coaching. I know I hammer this Bryles coaching three, tree thing, but Jeff Levy was with him at UCF, and that's when the evolution sort of started. So they are much more similar to, like, Baylor than Texas Tech when, when Leach was there and Bryles was at Baylor. So that's uh, – that's another point about Tennessee that I wanted to make because people people are like, well, how the heck did Bama stop Mississippi State? They couldn't stop Tennessee because it's different. It's a different type of situation. All right. Well, moving along to question number two and uh, and a team and a name that was not mentioned in any of what we just discussed, uh, but is going to to catch the eye are Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. Guys, we we had the discussion about Jimbo uh, very early in this season after their loss to Appalachian State. Um, then they seemingly righted the ship with, uh, hey, remember when Miami and Texas A&M was a ranked matchup? Hmm. That was a big <laughs> game. Yeah, remember yeah. remember that? Uh, yeah, yeah. May, uh, how things change very, very quickly. I don't think anything underscores just how much college football is a week-to-week sport than, uh, than the trajectory of, of those two programs since the beginning 
of the season. But the gentlemen, uh, South Carolina, Mike, you mentioned uh, there that South Carolina is now that team that's close, that's kind of kind of right there. Um, the, the game really wasn't as close as the 30 to 24 final score, well, which seemed to indicate Gamecocks made it harder on themselves towards the end. But my goodness, guys, uh, Jimbo Fisher, um, again, we haven't had a full on discussion about him since you know week two or three. But it's pretty bad. Uh, it's pretty bad where he is right now. Um, locked into an $86 million contract uh, for the Aggies, guaranteed. Uh, there's nothing that anybody can do about it. Uh, I know people think that he's going to get fired. He's, he's probably not. But, you know, gentlemen, he hasn't scored over 24 points as an offensive coordinator. Hasn't had his team score over 24 points. Um, they, they haven't done very well against the last nine FBS opponents that they played. Uh, this is going back e- even to last year uh, for Jimbo Fisher. Just your overall thoughts on where things stand in Aggie land and how can they get better with Jimbo at the helm? It's shocking how inept they are on offense. Um, and I'm going to give a boring answer as to the biggest culprit, but sometimes the boring answer is the most correct one. They have no offensive line. They have no offensive line. I think at one point they, they had like four freshmen blocking, um, now, I'm not saying that's the only issue. Play calling, this still falls at Jimbo's doorstep, whether it's play calling, whether it's the the talent, whether it's the execution, whether it's the sloppiness. That's all part of being a head coach. So you, you can't you can't run away from it. You can't escape any of that. Um, but they just don't look like a, a physically imposing team. They don't have they have got like, again, I think a chain's going to be a running back in the NFL for 10 years. Um, Anaya Smith, when he's in the lineup, is a is a, a weapon. You know, they lost the uh, the, was the Weidermeyer kid. Uh, to he left early and then I think went undrafted. I'm not even sure if he's on an NFL roster right now. Mm. Um, they don't have a Mike Evans type wide receiver. You know, they they just they just don't have those things. And some people will say, well, uh, you know, Kevin Sumlin just about the same record w- during his first few years. The difference is Kevin Sumlin inherited an amazing collection of players and a Heisman. No matter what you would say about Johnny Manziel and his knuckleheadness that that pushed him out of the NFL quicker than it should have, he was a ridiculously good college quarterback. And he played with some ridiculously good offensive linemen and wide receivers. Most of those players, if not all of them, were inherited by Kevin Sumlin. Uh, Jimbo Fisher gets there. It's not quite the same handoff. You know, he, he, I believe, I'm pretty sure JC inherited, um, uh, Kellen Mond, right? He didn't, that wasn't his recruit. That was, yeah, that was before. And, and, but my, my thing on Kellen Mond was he put up a lot of numbers and, um, is, is trying to hang around the NFL now. Kellen, I didn't see Kellen get better from sophomore year to junior year, from junior year to senior. He's kind of the same player. So, the, the criticism that can't be avoided if you're Jimbo is, You go back to Florida State, and outside of the two years of Jameis Winston, who clearly was a very talented college quarterback, uh, where has the incredibly innovative and brilliant offense been? What 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 is it? And so that is that's going to be that's going to be discussed the entire offseason. He's not going to get fired, nor should he be fired. But he's going to have to start changing things up. That is for sure, because that just does not look like uh, what you what you bargained for when you got him. And 
And it's not like he's everybody wanted him, right? Yeah. Big game hunter wanted him too now. Let's not forget that. Big game hunter wanted mm. him at LSU. It's not like just Texas AM went on a you know, went rogue and said, We see something that nobody else does. Jimbo could have had his pick of a lot of jobs. A lot mm. of jobs. So apparently he impresses a lot of people, but he it just has not gone according to plan at all in College Station. Yeah, you know, look, I, I watched obviously the whole A and M South Carolina game this past weekend. Uh, one thing I'll say in, in watching them in that game and others this year is, you hit the nail on the head, Mike. I mean, against the Gamecocks, you know they were already beat up up front, and they had to start two trash, true freshmen uh, out there. Uh, you know, in this league, you know it, it's just like Kentucky. Uh, every everybody kept talking about going to the South Carolina Kentucky game. Ah, well they'll just They'll just line up in the wildcat and run over the Gamecocks. Well, their offensive line's not like what it was. It's it's it play, they played better against Mississippi State, but Kentucky's had better O line, and and that that's solved not only through re- recruiting, Mike, but like like it, it, it's solved over the course of time. You can't just go on either line of scrimmage and say, "Ah, oh, we got all these five stars, we'll be fine." Because it, it takes time up front. Um, and then quarterback, I think, has been a bit disappointing. I, Haynes King, uh, and, and and this is the criticism that gets said, uh, you know, because Jimbo's talking about how his starter, Max Johnson's out. Well, Haynes King was your starter last year before he went out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's, you know, and he started at the beginning of the year, got benched, and now he's the starter again. So, so what's this deal with Haynes? And then, um, you know, I think, they got, I think they have to go with Connor Weidman for the rest of the year and just – you know, get some excitement, let the chips fall where they may. But I'll say this, Texas A&M, they have not quit. They did not quit against the Gamecocks. They very well could have after getting down 17 nothing, and that crowd was howling at them. Um, you know, they, they've been opportunistic in certain games this year, uh, particularly Bama, which they lost, and then um, Arkansas, which they won. Uh, it, it's never good to lose to App State at home, um, but uh, but they did. Uh, but I, I think you know, a lot of the criticism comes from for, for three things with Jimbo Fisher. I think number one is the, the contract, obviously. Uh, what's yeah. the old saying? To whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people focus on the end at Florida State a lot with him, and it did not end well. You know, he got mm-hmm. out, and they were had a losing record, whatever. Um, you know, I, I think the recruiting rankings uh, and the fact that, you know, hey, this is year five. You have recruited in the top ten most years, you know. Uh, why is this team struggling? Why is it so young? Uh, but but I think what's happened sometimes is, is he's hitting like the fifth year wall. Uh, and, and this happens probably normally, normally in like year three or four, because the, the new coach comes in, uh, the old coach gets fired because they're underachieving, but old coach is kind of recruited pretty well. They just need time for those guys to get better. So he inherits some players. Uh, and that was good enough to win nine, win eight, and then go nine and one and almost make the playoff in 2020. Well, then last year they slipped back. And had they not beaten Alabama last year, uh, I think there would have been a lot more red flags coming in. But you beat Alabama, plus you had the number one class of the country. Uh, Everybody forgives you. But they're expecting too much out of these young guys too soon for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think think that's part of it. And I think a lot of coaches, you look at their records, if they're given past their fifth or sixth year, all of a sudden it turns. Now, at Florida State, let's see, what, what was it? Well, it was his fifth, three, four, 
five. He won the championship in his fourth year with Jameis and went to the playoff in year five. Didn't get didn't do better than 10 and three the rest of the time. So um, and then he was out. So so if you're kind of a little nervous about his trajectory and what happens in a program that he you know, builds, uh, you know, you, you may be a little worried, but I, I think that some of it, if you really kind of look at the way a and playing, yes, it's not up to their standard. No, it's not what we're used to, but, but, but I, I think the kids play hard and I think the future's bright. Uh, if he'll fix some things, uh, the, the big question I had going in with him was his pro style offense. It, it's what it's Texas A&M. That means they are in the state of Texas. Think about the offenses at the high school level in that state and then everybody else's offense on the college level uh, in that state. Uh, A&M sort of a throwback, you know, mm-hmm. and frankly, they got rid of Mike Sherman <laughs> and replaced him with Kevin Sumlin because of that. You know, they needed uh, a guy that would really push the envelope like every other school in that state as it's relative to your recruiting base. So, you know, maybe it's time for him to, to give up the play calling and go hire a great OC and uh, and see if he can start rolling. I would just say two last things before we close this subject out. Number one, Mike, uh, uh, Jimbo Fisher can always walk down the halls after losses and adversity and just kind of look at you without even saying it. But the look would say, last time I checked, you guys haven't done any better with somebody not named me in a long, long time. That's why I'm here. That's why you paid me a lot of money because you weren't competing for national championships 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So it ain't all on me. That's what Jimbo, I think, kind of has <laughs> deep. Every coach has a little bit of that cockiness. You know, it's how you say it and how you filter it that uh, that differs from one coach to the next. But I'm sure that's part of it. And number two, just so we're clear that, uh, you know, this is not a Jimbo bash fest. If you were to tell me two years from now that Texas A&M would be in the SEC championship game, you know what? I would say I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised. That front they have. It's going to be ridiculous. Oh, right? young, I mean, I mean even if half guys, of them how, are a bust, right? Look how even huge those them. guys are. I mean, look at those guys. I mean, yeah. you're like, wow, these guys right. are freshmen, you know, and uh, they don't always play their best assignment-wise. They bust some. That's why they're not good at run defense. But uh once they once it clicks, it's gonna click. It's gonna click in a big way, and you'll see. In my opinion, the return of the wrecking crew <laughs> out in College Station in a big way. Yeah. All right, guys. Moving on to question number three, and uh, you know, a coach that has an offensive mind that could be in high demand uh, is a guy named Hugh Freeze. Uh, Liberty only one loss this season, a one point loss to Wake Forest. They blew the doors off of a BYU team who earlier in the season. Uh, knocked off Baylor it was a top 25 team BYU has fallen on some hard times here over the last month though Notre Dame Arkansas and now Liberty uh wrapping up three consecutive losses for the Cougars uh but but gentlemen I just want to want to ask you right now is Hugh Freeze coaching at Liberty next season or is he going to be a guy that will be in high demand and take one of these six open positions that we have in college football at the moment I think he's going to be in high demand and I think um whether it's the SEC or not, someone's going to hire him. Uh, most fan bases and administrations really don't care a whole lot about your personal life, which was the the back end of that whole uh, when everything went up in smoke in Oxford. The front end, of course, was you have one of your former offensive linemen uh, producing 
you know, videos wearing a gas mask, smoking weed and talking about getting compensated while playing at Ole Miss, which everybody kind of thought was going on. And it just eventually came out. The difference is now so much of that is 100 percent legal. I mean, all that stuff that was going on in Oxford under Hugh Freeze that put them behind the eight ball, that put them on probation is now legal. And you can't deny the fact the man knows how to coach. He knows how to recruit, knows how to coach offense. And look, I've met Hugh Freeze multiple times. He's not not an unlikable guy. He's not a bad guy. He He made mistakes. But let me put it to you this way. He's not Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino, by most accounts, is a 100% grade A a-hole that no one that has ever worked with has anything good to say about. And I've talked to several people from the Falcons to Louisville to everywhere in between. That I've never heard about Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze got, got squirrely with the recruiting and then made some mistakes in his personal life which again that's not going to prevent him from getting a big time job. I think I think Hugh hits it next this this cycle. JC, I think enough time has passed. I think he's reminded everybody what made him good at Ole Miss when they beat Alabama back to back years. Um that's just my guess. Uh, if I'm Auburn University, man, unless there's some kind of don't you do that from the league office. Mhm. Man, I, that's a guy, you know, you, you want somebody, you know, right now, Auburn's shoot, man, at least under Gus Miles on, they jump up and beat Alabama and about every three, four years, they'd be one of the better teams in the country. Right, right now, it's just lifeless. Almost. You, you don't hear much about Auburn. You don't hear much about them in recruiting. You know, they kind of go out there and lose to the teams they should lose to. I mean, it, it, it's, there's, it needs to be excitement, right? It's kind of a shame because, you know, at some point last year they were doing all right. But um, uh, I think I think if you're Auburn, you go get Hugh Freeze, uh, and 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 then you're sort of thankful, in my opinion, if you are Auburn, that Josh Heupel is doing what he's doing at Tennessee, and he's not like a two year dumpster fire, like like if Heupel were sitting there like, you know, two and thirteen and had lost right. to some bad teams and stuff. Uh, then Tennessee may jump in. And, and I think that Hugh Freeze being a native of the state of Tennessee probably would really like that Tennessee job. You know, that's at least what I've heard. But Auburn, that's a perfect match. That's a perfect match uh, in the NIL era. I think that their people would rally behind him. Uh, I know he can recruit, uh, and I know he can coach, and and they know he can beat Alabama. So uh, I think uh, – you know, would would that be there's the second former Ole Miss coach to get the Auburn job after Tuberville, who beat yeah Bama quite a bit. You know, so I yeah. think uh, I think I think I think I think that's the job that uh, that uh, Free should 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 be in the mix for and and take. I mean, I, I don't know what would prevent that from happening, uh, other than hey, maybe there's kind of an unwritten rule because he hadn't been really up for any of these jobs, guys. Uh, it just well, hasn't. Did it actually come out, JC? Was there something uh, that that was uh, you didn't say just unwritten? But I thought that there was actual talk from Sankey in the league office that hey, you, there's going to have to be some kind of vetting process if he's well, ever to get a job in this league again. Well, I, I I didn't 
I didn't read that specifically. I, what, what I heard, I mean, what we saw and what was true was that they told Nick Saban he could not hire him <laughs> uh, as an analyst. Uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, I think say he's kind of been on the record and said, ah, you know, a long time ago or whatever. But um, I'll tell you this, uh, you know, I, unless there's something like that uh, uh, still behind the scenes, you know, if I'm Auburn, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving Hugh whatever he wants to come take the job. And uh, maybe when he does get the job, uh, if that does happen, uh, he will be uh, coaching in a in a twelve team playoff. Guys, moving on to, to the next question here. Uh, this will be a question that I won't actually be able to ask in the very near future when it comes to the playoff. But hmm. uh, building things up and, and the way things are looking right now, uh, a lot of SEC, a lot of Big Ten. Maybe maybe there's a team like Clemson. Maybe there's a team like Surprise TCU this year with Sonny Dykes that that might crash the party. But will we see a team outside of the SEC or the Big Ten make the college football playoff this year? Ooh. Yeah, I was looking at this. This is you can find these now all over the internet. I think this is from uh, uh, Jacob Crane, aka the J Boy, who's um, got his own syndicated show now, and 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 he printed out what the the bracket what it would be right now if we had twelve. And obviously, this would change a hundred times over. So if you looked at this and you said, well, "I don't like it," well, this is not what it's going to look like a month from now. But you'd have uh, your top four seeds: Georgia, Ohio State. Tennessee, Michigan. So there's your SEC Big Ten. Then you would go, um, you go five through 12 now. You've got, he made this very hard to read Clemson five, TCU six, Alabama seven, Oregon eight, Oklahoma State nine. I still think Oklahoma State winds up beating TCU in a rematch in the Big 12. Uh, 10 UCLA. I, I forgive me for forgetting to mention Chip Kelly on the redemption tour. I realize oh, they yeah. lost, but Chip Kelly definitely deserves to be there. Uh, the job that he has done, Ole Miss 11. Again, they've got a pretty rough stretch to finish with, and then Syracuse 12. And I think the Syracuse story is about to go up in flames here in the next few weeks. So I don't anticipate they're going to be in, I don't anticipate it's going to look like this, but I, I, I look at that. And I say, okay, you know, what What I don't think anybody from the Pac-12, Pac-10 is going. I think the problem for Oregon, who just had the big win against UCLA, is it, it's still fresh in their mind what an egg they laid against Georgia. What was it, 42, 49 to 3? 49 to 3. 49, like people just are not going to be able to forget that. So I, I think the Pac-10 is out. So then we're looking at the Big 12 ACC for the best candidates. So you know, we're looking at the winner of Oklahoma State TCU, and we're looking at uh, Clemson. And and that those are the only teams right now that I think have a, have a good chance of getting in there and, and knocking off a, a, a potential SEC, SEC candidate. So – I think it's about 50-50, JC. I mean, I I think you're going to have two SEC teams. It almost seems like a lock at this point. And you're going to have, obviously, Ohio State or Michigan. The question is, do you have Ohio State and Michigan? And Michigan. Yeah. That's and unlike interesting. The, unlike the Pac-12 Pac where they got rid of divisions, right? So, so basically, very good opportunity for UCLA and Oregon to play again. You don't have that in the Big Ten. So you're, you're not going to have back-to-back Ohio State-Michigan matchups, right? 
we're not we're not there yet. We might be in some time, but we're not there yet. Right. No, it's that's when everybody abolishes the divisions. And by the way, Bruce Feldman reported today, Big Ten is keeping the divisional format until USC and UCLA join the league, and then they're going to reassess. But uh, is what happens when there's the game, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, and then you're going to play the next week. Right. With that format, that's that's going to be kind of interesting and weird. But uh, yeah. uh, anyway, especially when they go to twelve, because you'd think if those two teams were both undefeated, they're both in, mm-hmm. you know, the playoff anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I I look at that, and uh, you know, I, I think Clemson's pretty much on a glide path to finish undefeated. I know the committee loves undefeated conference champions, and so if they went out, I think they're in. Uh, I think there there will be two SEC teams. I think you can make a case for three. Let, let's say, let's say Georgia beats Tennessee, but Tennessee wins the rest of their games, right? And then Alabama knocks off Georgia in the SEC championship game, mm-hmm. and everybody's eleven and one, and they've all beaten each other. I mean, how do you? Yeah. I, I would. I, I guess you could say, well, Georgia won the division, and Tennessee won nothing, so they get in, but. Uh, that'd be tough that i mean there's a few of those scenarios floating out there even one that has all four making it if you included um uh old miss but uh the the one the only like stipulation in those kind of quasi tiebreakers is that if it's close you go with the conference champion like that's the one reward for winning your conference now and when we have the 12 team playoff the reward will be obvious you get the first round by Mm -hmm. it's huge but for now, uh, if if you're battling for that fourth and final spot and it's similar resumes, that's the one kind of, okay. And to your point, I don't know if it says divisional champion, but that would be the next logical step, right? If you're trying to, if you're splitting hairs, okay, neither one of these teams won the conference championship, but this one won the division and that one didn't. I don't know. I still think it's going to be two SEC teams. At least Michigan, Ohio State, and then the the big question is going to be number four. It's either going to be the loser of Michigan, Ohio State, or it's going to be one of those teams I just mentioned. That's my guess in late October, subject to change 27 times. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, guys, with that in mind, moving on to the final question, uh, just kind of an open-ended one uh, for you here as we look ahead to this week and how things can shape that final result to go into the final four of the playoff. Um, We've got a handful of big games this weekend. Again, Mike, as as you said uh, before we got into this, I don't know that anything can really match what we saw two weekends ago. That was a pretty special Mm -hmm. college football weekend, and anything that gets held to that standard is going to be a disappointment. But there are a handful of games uh, this weekend, Ohio State, Penn State obviously being the the big one. Um, You've got uh, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, another big one. Uh, The teeth sort of been taken out of the uh, the cocktail party with Georgia and Florida uh, here uh, in in recent years. But just for you guys, what what do you consider? What are you looking forward to as the top games this weekend? By the way, that Georgia – did anybody see the Georgia-Florida line? I mean – I'm sure it's ugly. How how just – 22 and a half. Yeah, how painful does that have to be to like – there there was a time where like Florida was dominating that rivalry. And I think I heard a stat earlier today that five of the last seven Florida coaches won their first ever matchup in the cocktail party. So it, it wasn't all Spurrier and Urban. It's like McIlwain, Muschamp, Zook, like, you know, 
you didn't have to be a great coach to beat Georgia. That's the that's the way that rivalry was going. In Zucker's first year, he gave Georgia their only loss of the season and How knocked them that? out of the national championship. Yeah. How about that? The Zucker. Uh, was that was that David Green, David that, Pollock? That was or, the Green and Pollock uh, 0 yeah. two. That 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 team, really good team. They had a lot of right down to the wire games, and they just kept winning. Larry Munson was still doing play by play. I was living in Georgia at the time, uh, and they went and ended up playing Arkansas in the SEC championship, blowing them away, and then beat Florida State pretty good in the Sugar Bowl. But had they had they not lost that one, or had we had a playoff, Mark Rick. That they were probably the best team in the country uh, when all was said and done. Um, you know, would they have upset Miami like Ohio State did? I don't know. But in a fourteen playoff, that team I think had a lot of destiny. But yeah, that game that one year, Mike, it wasn't a, it wasn't a three thirty kickoff on on CBS. It was a uh, ESPN at night, mm. and uh, I think Florida had a big pick six, and the Zucker got the win, twenty to thirteen. The Zucker got the win. Um... I would just say in a, in a less than great slate of games, Kentucky, Tennessee intrigues me. By the way, I think Fowler and Herb Street are calling that game, mm-hmm. um, which goes to show you, like, they're, they're, I mean, Tennessee's a brand name, but it's also like the, the major storyline. This is what I'll say about that game in terms of Kentucky, who I think a lot of people are still trying to get a feel on right now. Mark Stoops and his defensive coordinators and Brad White, like they do, even when they lose a game against a better team, they do as good a job as turning it into their kind of game as anybody out there. In other words, if anybody is going to slow Tennessee down in terms of number of possessions, you can once they get the ball, it's pretty hard to do a whole lot about it unless your defense is just outstanding on that given night. But what they're so good at is that they control time of possession they'll grind out drives and they'll make sure you don't get the ball that much on offense and and from that standpoint Kentucky could make this I think at least interesting so I mean it's it's like an 11 and a half point favorite for Tennessee I get it um the only other one I would add I this is this is one this is like payback so Michigan State last year Michigan just gift wrapped them a game against Mm -hmm. the Spartans Sparty, Kenneth Walker, ran all over him, and Michigan just ran all warm fluid down their leg in the fourth quarter uh, and blew it. That ain't happening this time around. Uh, Michigan State has become remarkably average in a short amount of time, and Michigan's looking awfully good. So even though I don't think it's going to be a great game, uh, the the matchup is intriguing just from the rivalry and, you know, that particular – uh storyline other than that man i'm searching and i'm just you know i know ohio state penn state sounds great on paper but i watched penn state michigan Mm. why am i supposed to feel differently about penn state against ohio state i I just i can't get there so those are the other games that kind of sort of stand out but it's it's not a great slate overall yeah, Kentucky's got the 14th uh number 14 in america in total defense they're a spider web team, in my opinion. That, that means like you, and I got to give credit to Josh Pate for coming up with that. But it's uh, you if you get caught in Kentucky spider web, uh, you could lose. <laughs> right. uh, and and teams like Tennessee with their style, it's so different than what Kentucky likes to do. Uh, look no further than Mississippi State, which is a lot different 
offensively and stuff like that than Kentucky. But keep in mind too, Tennessee. You know, uh, Mark Mark Stoops has owned certain teams uh, around the SEC during his career uh, at Kentucky. Tennessee has continued to own Kentucky through the Doolander era, through the Butch Jones Champions of Life era, through the rock throwing <laughs> contest of Jeremy Pruitt era, and now with Hypo Ball. You know, they won a shootout last year in Lexington. So, you know, I don't know. Kentucky's going to have to keep it on the ground with Chris Rodriguez not turn the ball over. Uh, like I said, Tennessee's got a really good run defense. So maybe Will Levis and those uh, freshman receivers make some plays. But it, I, you know, I, I, the matchup, if I were Tennessee, because of the enormous Georgia game coming up, it would concern me a bit because, you know, it's like, ah, here we go. We got this huge Georgia game in a couple of weeks, but uh, we'll turn around and lose to Kentucky, just our luck, right? Um, but I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know if Kentucky can keep up with them. If, if, if Tennessee gets up, by three touchdowns early, it's over. Shut the door. Counter to everything I, I said earlier, this is what fanboy Mike would like to see, just, <laughs> just as a college football fan who just wants to see good games. I, I've told you I'm a believer in Will Levis. He doesn't play in an offense that, you know, allows him to completely – like if you put Josh, if you put Will Levis in Tennessee's offense, the stats would look dramatically different. They just would. Uh, so when I hear people say, oh, I don't think this Will Levis stuff is all hype. You just don't understand what Kentucky does. And then this, and in this case, what they're trying to, they're trying to do it with a very average, if not below average offensive line. And basically their top receivers are true freshmen. So uh, this is one where I just, as a fan, I'd like to say, I'd like to see the coaching staff go, you know what? Let's just let Will Levis go out there and gunsling today. Probably not the best chance to win and definitely not what they teach at Kentucky. But I think it'd be entertaining as hell because I don't think Tennessee has a great defense. I think they've been opportunistic (coughs) and they've overachieved. But I'd like to see Will Levis just completely take the harness off and let him gun and let's have a good old-fashioned shootout. But I doubt that's what they're going to do, and I doubt that's what you're going to see. I don't think it's a bad solution. I mean, like, look, I guess the Tennessee's got a top eight run defense. They're only giving up 90 yards a game uh, on the ground, right? You know, so that's that's good, right? Well, I, I'm, I'm scrolling through the stats now, so let me throw this at you. They are 102nd in total defense. <laughs> <laughs> So, eighth against the run, 102nd overall. Mike, I kind of like your idea. I, I've always sort of thought, yeah, I thought Alabama, and, and this is because they're Alabama, and, and they were good. J- Jameer Gibbs went off anyway, running the ball against the Vols. I, I thought Alabama would have been better off settling in and trying to go out there and chunk it all over the yard with Bryce Young and play Tennessee's game. Um, but with Kentucky, it, it, you know, I, I see kind of a lot of, screen passes and uh, maybe some draw plays and some stuff like that to try to back them up. Well, it's going to be a lot of Rodriguez. Yeah, and maybe you do – maybe you take advantage of Will Levis because I'll tell you what, before before he got hurt, he, he's, he's, he, got, he has really good connection, a uh, really good connection with Dane Key and Barry yeah. and Brown, his two freshman receivers. And those guys are explosive and can make plays. So that is kind of – the chess match there, if you will, gentlemen, I think is very, very uh, intriguing. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for the Hot Haney Five. And, and guys, you just want to continue this conversation into an SEC spotlight? 
Absolutely. We can, uh, I think we can do that. I do want to say uh, on the Georgia-Florida conversation, do you guys – do you know the closest margin of victory for either team in the last decade in this game? It's Georgia by three back in 2013. The Bulldogs won 23-20. to Since then, we've seen Florida win 38-20, 27-3, Georgia win 42-7, 36-17. The next closest score in the last decade was a few years ago in 2019 when it was 24-17 Georgia. Then we saw Florida win 44-28 and then last year's 34-7 for the Bulldogs, which was the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen uh, down in Gainesville. So it's it's yeah. kind of crazy to think about this game for as big of a rivalry as it is. Um, it, we, we've seen it nearly even over this time period, but uh, the closest margin of victory, just three points for the Bulldogs. 2013, too, was Muschamp's four and eight year where they lost to Georgia Southern at home. Yeah, that was, so that was a, the nail in the coffin. Yeah. I would just say this, and you're going to hear this if you watch the game on CBS because you hear the stat every year. The team that rushes for more yards wins like 90% of the time, whatever. I, I, look, we all know running the football is, is important. It's a good thing. But I'm going to tell you right now, so many of those rushing yards have come by the team that was leading in the fourth quarter because their quarterback was better. And then what did they do? They ran clock, and they ran the ball, and they finished with more yards. Uh, when Florida had the, the breakout Kyle Trask year and he could throw to Kyle Pitts all over the place and um, uh, Kadarius Toney, uh, Georgia couldn't stop it. They, could, they couldn't stop that, that offense primarily throwing the football. Georgia, more, more often than not recently, has had the better quarterback in this game. The Kyle Trask year was standing. And in this particular season, again, with all the hype on Anthony Richardson, Stetson Bennett, Bennett is a better college quarterback at this stage of the game, and he will likely outplay Florida in terms of passing the football. Uh, Georgia's defense is better. Florida's got, I mean, Florida, all the focus tends to be on Florida's offense and, you know, Billy Napier and, and his scheme and uh, and Anthony Richardson, the, you know, the, the one-week hype video that was Anthony Richardson. But the, bat, the bottom line is they have, their defense is woeful. I mean, they, they don't stop anybody. They don't, and they're not going to stop Georgia. So uh, that stat will come up on, you know, well, for the 20th time in 22 years, the team that had the more rushing year. But it's, but Georgia has the better quarterback. They've got the better defense. And so they may run for more yards. That's not the biggest factor to me on who wins the game. Yeah, Florida's 109th in total defense nationally. Um, and they've gotten worse, you know. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> they, 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 they're not they're not getting better. They're on that side of the ball. And we there. all know how this works. So you know, I go on a show there uh, once a week, and and one of the questions was, "Do you think the coordinator is going to be fired?" And my answer is, "Look, do they really have talent? I think Ventrell Miller." Uh, like they, they don't have your typical Florida defensive talent. So yeah, they might fire the coordinator or that he might be on the hot seat, but this is a problem that needs to be solved. JC, as you well know, in recruiting and Florida's recruit. That's why Dan Mullen is no longer out of it. No longer uh, with a job, not because he can't coach offense. I still think he's a brilliant play caller, but because the recruiting slacked and you look at that Florida defense in it, there's nothing intimidating about it. Well, yeah, and it, it, I was talking to a coaching buddy of mine over the summer that's in the state of Florida, and you know we, we kind of got on the subject of Napier's offense, and it's it, look, it's not as 
high high flying and creative and all that is Mullen or Spurrier or Urban when Mullen was there. I mean, uh, it, it's it, I don't want to say pedestrian, but it's it's a kind of a more of a ball control system. They run the quarterback well. It can be explosive, uh, but you look at Louisiana. That's how how they won games. And I was like, well, Florida fans culturally. Because uh, every program has a DNA, they don't like winning games ten to seven, you know. And then they're like, "Well, he's like, well, that's good because they don't have the defense to win games ten to seven this year, right? That's right, <laughs> you know." And then that's that's right. that's, that's been the case. So uh, we'll see how it works out. I mean, I have a I have a bad feeling for the Gators uh, going into this one. I I, I, uh, I or you know, it, could it be one of those games where Florida plays its butt off and it's close? Yeah, I mean, Missouri played Georgia close. Kent State gave them somewhat of a game, at least on the scoreboard. Uh, so Georgia's going to have to come in and want to play. But, uh, you know, I just I just don't see how they're going to stop Georgia consistently enough uh, to win the football game. And then, you know, Anthony Richards is going to have to play the game of his life uh, yeah. if, if they're going to move it against the dogs. Brock Bowers will be the best player on the field. He'll have 150 yards of offense and, and – Georgia wins and continues their uh, their path here, and then they get ready for for Tennessee. All right, that's uh, you know, there's no other games that really stand out on the SEC spotlight. Arkansas, uh, Auburn is uh, that's a nooner, and everybody's a little bit better with a nooner is in that, their life. Is that uh, is that at? At Auburn or at Arkansas? At That's Auburn. in Auburn because they That's were Arkansas last year. Yeah. By the way, the week after is when Arkansas plays the uh, the Fighting Hugh Freezes and Liberty. Liberty, and, oh, my God. Kind of bizarre at a conference game on the schedule at that point. There's no gimme with that the way Dude, Liberty's playing. Who made the schedule at Arkansas? I know, I, I, I know. It's like I, Cincinnati, BYU on the road, and Liberty. Yeah. Those are our three non-conference games. And then – Missouri State, coached by Bobby Petrino. By coached by Bobby Petrino. I know. Wow. You're, you're yeah. playing with fire, man. You yeah, are it, yeah, playing no with doubt. fire. Good Lord. I mean, and, and, you know, <laughs> what that does is you don't get a break, man. I mean, right. they, they they had a – I think they had an open date last week. But uh, they're back. And, you know, I think beating Auburn will be important for them because you do have that Liberty game. If they show up, they'll probably beat Liberty. But – uh then LSU comes to town. Then Ole Miss comes to town. So that's uh, if they want to play a factor, I, I think they're out of the division as for, in terms of winning it. But if they want to, you know, make some noise and ruin some seasons and, you know, get back to a nice bowl game, I think I think these next two are huge for Sam Pittman and the Hogs. Yeah, and I, I know we're wrapping up on time. I'll just say one other game, and and that's one of these where be careful. Just just be careful. You should win the game, but. Don't don't take it lightly. You mentioned just a moment ago, JC, Missouri played Georgia as well as anybody. Well, they got the Gamecocks on mm-hmm. Saturday. And right now, I mean, Carolina's just riding high. Beamer ball. Everything is going fantastic. You can't help but look ahead and you look at Vandy and you say, Oh my goodness. And you see Florida's down. You say, Oh my god, you start racking up those totals in your head, and you're like, hmm. You know, come to think of it, when we had those three 11 win seasons under Spurrier. We weren't the best team on the planet. We won a lot of close games, and nobody expected us to win 11 games, but that's kind of how it went, right? It was just like, you know, lose a game, okay, squeak this one out, win that, and then all of a sudden you look up at the wind toll and you're like, whoa, we just won 11 damn games. 
Uh, I'm not saying that this team is going there, but what I am saying is, like I, I think Shane is playing with house money. That being said, just don't don't lose to Missouri at home. No, Missouri is probably the most improved defensive team in the league. Uh, you want to talk about the transfer portal? Tyrone Hopper came in. Joseph Charleston's in. Uh, they've got really good talent. They. Uh, what's funny is, and, and uh, I have a little theory. We'll talk about in the off season that sometimes NFL guys don't make good college coaches. Uh, the interim head coach of the Carolina Panthers, Steve Wilkes, was actually their DC last year. They were historically bad. Um, Eli Drinkwitz is three and zero against South Carolina. So. You know, this is a Missouri very much this year, Mike, is a spider web team like Kentucky. It's probably even worse because, you know, they just grind and play defense and they're not that good offensively. And it's sometimes it's a punt fest. And, you know, next thing you know, you're kind of sleepwalking and then you get beat. Um, you know, Georgia woke up in time. Auburn was very fortunate. Uh, Florida, it was kind of a back and forth game. Florida held them at the end, but, uh, yeah, the Gamecocks can't can't just show up and expect to win the Columbia Cup Saturday uh, without uh, you know and just act like that they're oh we're in the top twenty five now so we should roll over these next two teams. Well, Missouri's yeah, been a difficult one for them. Period. Even when they were winning eleven games a year, Missouri was uh, was a thorn in the side as the new member of the SEC. Well, that's how Missouri was actually like competing for Eastern Division crowns and kind of came into the league and they had NFL first round picks on the D line. And uh, it was like, Whoa, we, we, we didn't know we were going to see this Missouri. And then eventually water found its own level and, and Missouri kind of got back to where I think a lot of people expected Missouri to be. Uh, it's not a knock on Missouri. It's just kind of an indicator of life in the SEC. Like it's, it's just a different, <clears throat> a different deal. And, you know, you go back to those years and we've talked about it before the East was woeful. Um, I don't think we're going to see the East be down again like that for a while because with Georgia and Tennessee doing what they're doing with, with Kentucky has been a consistently good team under Stoops. And now you've got Carolina, uh, heck if Florida ever gets their act together, that's five, like, Holy smokes teams in the division. I'm not saying it's the West yet, but it could finally start being in the same atmosphere, which hadn't had been that way for a while. Yeah, I mean, the West has dominated uh, mm -hmm. the regular season. They've dominated the SEC championship game in Atlanta. Um, it's a far cry from what some of us grew up watching in the 90s when the SEC East was clearly the better division. Now, things are cyclical, and that's starting to change a little bit. Good stuff, Michael. I guess that uh, that pretty much covers it. We got a lot in here. Yes, and, uh, you guys. Uh, out of time. You guys want to do a pick five? Okay, yeah. Why not? Yeah, roll we'll, that. We'll, 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 we'll pick five. Uh, How did uh, I do uh, last uh, last time? I can't. We, even, we I thought a, it was. We took a good. bye week. We took a bye week last week. We took a bye week, um, but the week before I felt pretty good. Uh, you went three and two. So that's three straight winning weeks. Yep, three straight winning weeks. Uh, JC, you went one and four uh, for your dignity. I will not <laughs> your overall record for the season. Uh, six um, and nineteen. I think it's six and nineteen. Now. Yeah, yeah. That that's it. That's it. Man, you're, that's you're, like you're, you're one win away from being uh, the the guy when Gene Chizik got hired uh, at Auburn, and he was all pissed off. Five and nineteen. Five and nineteen. <laughs> 
That's, Classic uh, Auburn fan. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, that's uh, that's where things are. All right, guys, but uh, we we will blow through these uh, really quickly. Um, I just go with your gut, okay? Yep. Yep. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, Bucks on the road, sixteen and a half point favorites. I will tell you this one stat, and I have to use it because I, I found it and I thought it was great. Ohio State's the first Big Ten team since nineteen oh three to put up forty five plus points in six consecutive games. Buckeye, 16 and a half. That's uh, another nooner. So you don't have like a white out at night at, at, in Happy Valley. Um, I have no doubt Ohio State wins the game. You know what? J- just because that number got inflated to a, I'm a little uncomfortable laying that many points. I'll take Penn State to cover, and that is all. Okay. I'm going with Ohio State to cover because Penn State disappointed me against Michigan. So I'm mad at them. All right. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> the, the I'm just going to start picking games that pick. way because obviously, <laughs> obviously, if I put any thought into it, guys, I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> if you put too much thought, it's uh, like, it's, you know, it's, it's the, uh, it's time the, for the petty pick of the week. With yeah, 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 there we go. A, I like their uniform colors. Let's Beautiful. pick them. Uh, That's how you win March Madness. All right, a big, a big Big 12 matchup, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. Uh, the Cowboys on the road against the Wildcats, basically a pick em. Uh It is uh, one point, one point to Kansas State. Actually, excuse me, one and a half. I got that wrong. One and a half to Kansas State at home. Staying with my team. I'm staying with the Cowpokes. I'm staying with the former mullet, the former 40-year-old man, Mike Gundy. I'll go K-State, a close one. All right. Uh, the Kentucky-Tennessee game that we were talking about just a few minutes ago, the Volunteers, a 12-and-a-half-point home favorites at night in Nayland. Go ahead, JC. I need two seconds to chop this one up. That line's inter- very interesting, but uh, it may be a sucker bet, but I'm going with Tennessee to cover and win. <sighs> I, I, I hate that I've known you 18 years, Mike, and, and I know this is a listening medium for, for you out there listening to this and tuning into this podcast. The the face that Mike Morgan makes when he's yeah. just ugh. again, we are the only Priceless. show Priceless. crazy enough to let someone pick the games that we have to pick for us and with no lead time, nothing. That's why I, I I'm proud of uh whatever success I've had in this thing. Um Sorry. Give me, give me Tennessee. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Kentucky can make a game of it, but I, I just, I just don't know. All right, I think you're going to be right on that one. Okay, you're going to be right on that one. Let's stay in the SEC. The one you were, you were wary of, of, of making uh, Gamecock fans just to say, hey, hold on, hold on now. Gamecocks though, five point home favorites in an afternoon kickoff against Missouri, four o'clock kick time. By the way, JC. I'm going to go with the Gamecocks, but I don't. I mean, I, I think it's going to be like a seven to ten point win. I, you know, for them, I, you know, Missouri's got a really, like I said, tough defense. South Carolina still has a lot of issues on offense uh, that I don't think they can fix until the off season, if that makes sense. Um, so, uh, but I, you know, it's a home game at Williams Bryce. This team's playing with confidence. They got momentum. Shane Beamer has done a good job of leading this group and you know, getting them to rebound and, and and focus on things. And Marshawn Lloyd's running the ball really well, too. So 
Uh, I think Missouri is going to be a tough out, but I think the game console will end up winning it, and everybody will breathe the sigh of relief until the next week when they go to Nashville. Yeah, give me Marshawn Lloyd, 25 carries, 140 on the ground. Do what you need to do. Make a little statement in the process and and uh, and win it by a touchdown. All right, survive in advance. That's the way the Gamecocks have been making it happen here during this season. All right, last one here, and this one's a, a shout-out to one of our loyal listeners here. Big game in the American, number 20, Cincinnati on the road against the UCF Knights. Cincinnati, a one-point favorite on the road. Yeah, by the way, UCF John, very uh, distraught about a disappointing loss. We need to do a deep dive next week on Willie Fritz of Tulane. What's going on over there? Because that that's one of the best stories in college football that nobody's talking about. They are in the American, but nobody talks about Tulane like ever. This is a program that was like holding a bake sale 15 years ago just to keep football around because there were people that were running the administration and were like, we don't really need football. It's expensive, and it's just such a hassle. Um, what did you say that line was again? Uh, Bearcats by one. In Orlando? In Orlando, 230 kick. In the bounce house. Oh, give me over under is 56. If that makes any difference to you. Yeah, not really. Um, give me the Knights turning it around, bouncing in the bounce house, responding under adversity. Cincinnati's been good again. Good story there. They lose their coach. Doesn't matter. I'll take UCF. Go on to UCF. Go on to UCF as well. Only because uh, Orlando is fun. And I don't like <laughs> Cincinnati chili. Yeah, it's overrated. Skyline. Yeah. Been there, done that. Hurts my overrated. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go, gentlemen. Best of luck to you. Awesome. Thank Great you. stuff as always, guys. Uh, thanks again to Blue Delta, bluedeltajeans.com for all their help in uh, the festivities. And we look forward to being back with you next week. For JC, for Michael Haney, Mike Morgan saying so long. We'll see you next time on JC and Morgan.